At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Everywhere we turn, someone is promising to finally give us the satisfaction and happiness we long for. Yet from advertisements to political campaigns, these promises so often remain unfulfilled. We know God makes promises too, but do you ever wonder if He'll actually keep them? Join us for our Christmas series, Fulfilled, as we discover how Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promises to us and how the promises He kept then fulfill our deepest longings now. Well, how many brought their scripture, brought the Bible with you? I hope you did, either uh, in physical form or maybe even on your device, though I do prefer physical form, amen. Uh, but I do encourage all of us today. We're gonna go back into our study of Matthew's gospel, chapter 22, Matthew's account of the birth story of Jesus. But I do wanna preface before I go into my message today uh, that today is a wonderful tradition. We're gonna be honoring a wonderful tradition here at Woodside, and it is the recognition of the memorial wreath. Maybe you saw them in the lobby, and some of you maybe have been here for previous years, but let me explain to you what we're going to do at the end of our gathering together today. We're going to give you opportunity to remember uh, those who uh, maybe aren't with us uh, today. There are some that are here today whose hearts are heavy. Uh, in the midst of all of the joy of Christmas, in the midst of the celebration that is this moment, we also have to pause and acknowledge that there is grief and mourning for those who maybe have loved ones that are not here with you today. Maybe a recent loss or maybe it's been some years now. Well, at the end of this uh, service together, we'll get a chance to remember those wonderful individuals, their impact on our lives, and have a moment of reflection and remembrance. Amen? I'll talk about that more at the end of our, my message today. Uh, but some may say, well, Pastor Chris, why uh, interrupt the celebration? Why talk about mourning and grief in the midst of a time that should be marked by, by joy? And I would simply say is that our Christian faith never calls us to denialism. It doesn't call, call us to deny what is true or, or what is real. What it actually says is confront the evil that is a part of living in a fallen world. Don't deny the impact of uh, grief and sorrow, the, the consequence of, of sin on our lives and on the world. But as you look at those things and the stark realities of the pains of those, uh, those things, remember that the birth of Christ and his subsequent death, burial, and resurrection eclipses it, it, it all. That, that uh, Jesus Christ has triumphed and because he is triumph, we have hope. Because he lives, we live. But we should never deny reality. I want you to picture this for a moment, then we're gonna go into our text. Imagine Christmas at your house, your family is over, but it's Christmas Eve, it's the night before Christmas, and imagine a big argument breaks out. Now for some of you, that won't be hard to imagine because of uh, family dynamics. But imagine a big argument breaks out and everyone's shouting and yelling and then everyone goes to bed and the next morning everyone wakes up and goes about their day like it never happened. No one talks about it. Tension is felt in the air. No one discusses it. How many of you think that that might be a little bit awkward, 
right? That, that wouldn't bring about healing and not, at least not the healing that needs to take place because of the argument that happened the night before. It's not until someone says, let's talk about it. Let's deal with it. Let's acknowledge it that the healing process takes place. Well, in the same way, Scripture doesn't deny the reality of living in a fallen world. God, through his word, says, let's talk about it. Let's deal with it. And let me show you my answer to it. We've been studying Matthew's Gospel, chapter 2, and uh, this series is called Fulfilled. And what we've looked at is how over and again, Jesus is coming, fulfills Old Testament prophecy. We've looked back at Hosea and Micah and, and, and the Exodus and how Jesus in his coming fulfills the long-awaited promises that God had given them for a Messiah, for a king, for one who would come and restore not only their uh, fortunes on earth, but to give a greater promise, the greater promise of salvation and eternity with God. And today we're going to see how Jesus turns mourning into hope. In Jesus, mourning is turned into hope. It is transformed in Christ. And praise God for those who are grieving and with heavy hearts this morning, the promise of God is that in Christ we can have hope. But how do we experience that? I'm going to walk you through real quickly a four-step process. And it starts with the stark reality of acknowledging the reality of evil, acknowledging the reality of evil. Look at uh, chapter 2, verse number 16. And it says here, Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. If you remember, it was in verse number one of this chapter that we are told that wise men from the east had come to worship Jesus. That somehow these astrologers, which is the best way for us to interpret magi who were in uh, Persia and other places in the east, somehow the, the grace of God had broken through. That in the midst of uh, what was um, a false religion, God was able to reveal himself and draw them to the true Messiah. And we celebrate the fact that God is able to break through the lies of this culture with the truth of Jesus. How many praise God for that reality? And so these men following a star knew that someone special was being born, knew that a king who would be king of kings, a Messiah who would rescue the world was being born. Yes, he was named the king of the Jews. Yes, he was the promised, long-awaited Messiah of Israel, but his coming was meant for more than just Israel. It was the nations who would rejoice. It was the world that would be glad, that would uh, celebrate the coming of the Son of God into the world. And so as they followed this star, it led them to the region where Jesus was. And there was a ruler in that region at the time. We've talked about him. His name was Herod, and Herod was a vicious leader. He was the leader 
that had the toxic combination of paranoia and power. Those are two qualities that we pray uh, that leaders don't have, but all too often throughout history, we have seen that that's a toxic mix, paranoia and power. And so, uh, as kings would do in that day, if there was someone who was a foreigner coming in, in particular for a foreigner of renown or prestige, they would meet with them. They would get an audience with them to ascertain, what are you here for? What is your goal? What is your point? And so they shared with him the excitement, the joy that a Messiah was being born, that a king who would be king of kings was being born. And Herod, being the paranoid person that he was, immediately thought about the threat to his power. But he knew he couldn't share that with them, so he told them, well, uh, why don't you go and find out exactly where he is? And then come back, give me word so that I might go and worship him. In verse 13, uh, the truth is revealed, though. He didn't plan on worshiping him. He wanted to destroy him. But an angel intervened. When the king of, of earth was threatening the king of heaven, an angel inter, intervened. And praise God, whenever earthly rulers want to threaten or challenge the plan of God, heaven intervenes. Our fear should never be that heaven would be able to stop the redemptive plan of God. God is faithful. Leaders, earthly leaders come and go, but how many thank God that the king of heaven reigns supreme forever and ever and ever. And so God, through the sending of an angel, first warns these, uh, these wise men, don't go back to Herod. And so they didn't go back. And imagine Herod sitting in his palace, waiting for them to return, looking at his proverbial watch and saying, it's been days now. It's been weeks now. These men aren't coming back. And he realizes, I was tricked. And the Bible uses this word to describe his mood. He became furious. He wasn't just angry, he was extremely angry. And why was he angry? Because he realizes he had been out with it. And this plot was already underway. The plot of heaven to overthrow the power of earth, to recognize and, and place back on the throne the one true Messiah and King, Jesus Christ. That, that the world would be able to look to God again and acknowledge that he is the only one who is all wise, all powerful, and worthy of our worship. And Herod recognized, at least to some extent, that this was taking place. And so what was his response? His response was to issue an edict. It was to sanction the mass murder of um, the most vulnerable in his, in his kingdom. And this has been the tradition of paranoid powerful people throughout the history of humanity. It, it goes back to the earliest records that we have of human behavior. From the pharaohs of Egypt to Nero, who was emperor of Rome at one point, and the story is told that he used to light his courtyard with the bodies of victims of his regime. Uh, to, in the more modern sense, Hitler, who uh, through the Holocaust, killed over six million Jews. These paranoid, powerful leaders who will go to great extent to maintain their power. But the Bible seems to cast in an especially uh, evil uh, light the sanctioning of the killing of children. 
of babies in order to maintain power and control. The Bible seems to look at with a special condemnation moments like what we read right here where people of power, in order to maintain positions of power, would even go as far as to sanction the killing of children. But this is exactly what happens. And the Bible lets us know we can't deny this. We can't go on and pretend that, uh, that this is just a moment of celebration and that there should be no grieving. We can't go on and pretend like we don't live in a fallen world. No, we have to call evil, evil. We have to be courageous enough to, with open Bibles, to be able to look at our word through the lens of the word of God and say, look at our world through the lens of the word of God and to be able to say, there is right and it is known in the scriptures. But there's also a way that seems right unto men, and the end of that way leads only to death and destruction. May we never become so culturally conditioned that we think paranoid people with power somehow have ruled the day, and somehow those ethics that proceed from those people is right. May we always align ourselves with the word of God. And in the midst of all of our celebration, may we pray, may we pray passionately for those who maybe even today are having their eyes opened to the evil that is a part of our fallen world. Here we see clearly that Herod had no problem in the midst of his quest for power to say all the children under the age of two, I want them eradicated, I want them destroyed. Well, how do we move from this place to a place of hope? Well, certainly it's not through denying, it's through acknowledging the reality of evil, but he doesn't leave us there. He takes us a little bit further. And I want you to read with me, and then we're gonna look at where this prophecy comes from. But I want you to read verse 18 with me, uh, verses 17 and 18 rather. It says, then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Uh, the, 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 the writer moves us from just acknowledging evil to embracing lament. That we as a people should not just sit back and see evil happening before us and not lament it. It is right that we should lament. And this is the prophecy. The prophecy comes from Jeremiah. He references back to Jeremiah. And I think it is important, wherever the Old Testament is quoted, that you go back to the Old Testament so that you can try to understand. That's what really gives us power and meaning. This was no haphazard moment. But this was helping to put history in its context. And history is not aimless. It finds its purpose and its context in Christ. And what is uh, clear here is that Jesus' coming into the world fulfills a promise that God had given to Israel. Let's go back really quickly. And for the rest of the message, we're going to toggle back and forth between Matthew 2 and Jeremiah uh, 31. So keep your finger in Matthew 2. Go to Jeremiah 31 with me. 
And in verse number 15, you're going to see um, exactly the prophecy that was quoted. And it says in verse number 15, thus says the Lord, a, ver a voice is heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted uh, for her children because they are no more. Now this, uh, Jeremiah 31, is a part of a larger section of Jeremiah in which he talks about uh, both the, the punishment and the promise of Israel. That Israel was going to be taken into Babylonian exile. That her sons and her daughters would be taken as slaves into Babylon. Why? Because she had rejected God. Because she had chosen to chase after idols. Because she had chosen the way of the world instead of the way of, of, of the Lord. Now God's judgment had come upon her. And this is a part of a bigger cycle of Israel. If you study the Old Testament, you see this cycle that God prospers the people. The people would then forget about God. God would then warn them to stop their injustices, to remember him. They would ignore the warning. God then would bring judgment. In the midst of the judgment, they would finally repent. God would restore favor. And the cycle started all over again. And this was the cycle of Israel. Again and again, God gives favor. They forget God, begin to behave in evil ways. God sends warning through his prophets. They ignore the prophets or even kill them. And then God sends judgment. And it's under the heart's judgment that they repent and come back to God again. And so Israel was in this season of rebellion. And God has said to them you're, that you're going to go into Babylonian captivity and your sons and daughters will be slaves. Now, Rachel is here pictured, and if you know a little bit about Old Testament history, Rachel was the second wife of Isaac. There are three uh, patriarchs in Israel's history, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Rachel is the second wife of Isaac, the one that he loved most. And she is pictured in this prophecy as the mother of Israel. And she is watching her children go into exile in Jeremiah 31. And she is weeping as her sons and her daughters are being taken captive into Babylonian captivity. She is weeping over her children. And Ramah, that's mentioned here, the city of Ramah, is five miles away from Jerusalem. And it was the staging site for the Babylonian Empire to take Israelites through the process of slavery into bondage, into Babylon. But it also means something interesting. The word Ramah is the Hebrew word for height. And so some scholars will say that in this prophecy that there's weeping coming from Ramah, that there's weeping heard from Ramah, that what is really being said here is that there's weeping heard on high. That God heard Rachel's weeping. God heard a mother's tears over her children. And I just want to say to moms today, I want to say to dads today, to parents who are weeping over their children. Maybe the loss of a child. Maybe the um, condition of their heart. Maybe they've wandered away from the Lord and you are weeping over your child. We serve a God who hears on high. The God who heard Rachel's weeping is the God who hears our weeping. 
Maybe it's not even your children that you're weeping over. Maybe it's what's happening to our kids as you cut on the news and you watch what's happening in our culture and across the generations. If God heard Rachel's weeping, he hears ours. And he comes to console Rachel. And why does God have to come to console Rachel? It's because Rachel cannot be comforted from any earthly source. Trust me. If you have ever heard the wails of a person who has lost a loved one who is dear to them, in particular, if you have ever heard the cry of a mother who has lost her child, what she does not want is mere words. What she doesn't want is cliches strung together. What she wants, the only thing that will satisfy, is I want my child back. That's the only thing that will satisfy. And so there is a weeping, there is a lament, and what what God wants us to do in the midst of this celebration story, the angels are rejoicing that Jesus has come. There is this inconvenient insertion of a prophecy that takes us back to a time in Israel's history where her children were being taken captive. God, why interrupt the party? It's because celebration and evil can exist right beside one another, but not forever, because ultimately God will turn lament into hope. And that's our third step. Go back with me to Matthew's gospel, chapter two. We'll go back to Jeremiah in just a moment. But the emergence of hope happens in verse number 19. And I don't want you to miss this emergence of hope. It says, but when Herod died, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Israel, in Egypt. Here's the irony of the entire story. is the very child that Herod was after in his sanctioning of the mass murder of children wasn't even there. He had already been warned. He was in Egypt already. Herod's plot was never going to prevail. And neither are ours. When we think that we have outwitted God, when we think we have already figured out a way to live life apart from God, when we think we can be good apart from God, successful apart from God, that in our intellect and our wisdom and our giftedness and creativity, that we can build societies and cultures that can function on systems and administrations that don't need God, that all we need is some social contract around morality, and we can kick God out of our schools, out of our culture we have come to a place of ruin and we don't even know it. Men's ways will never prevail against God. And so God promises to Mary and Joseph, go to Egypt. I've supplied for you through these gifts that have come from the wise men. Wait there and I will send you word after Herod has died. How many thank God that Herod's don't live forever? How many praise God to hear it don't live forever? But what was God's comfort to Rachel? Rachel who's weeping over her children. I want you to hear me and hear me clearly. God didn't forget Rachel. Turn with me to verse number 16 of Jeremiah 31. I told you we go back and forth. And it said in verse number 16, Thus saith the Lord, keep your voice from weeping, and your eyes from tears. For there is a reward for your work, declares the Lord, and they shall come back from the land of the enemy. 
God says to Rachel, I will bring your children back to you. Listen to what God says to Rachel. I will bring your children back to you. And in Jeremiah, this represented the fact that exile wasn't going to last always. That Israel wasn't going to be a slave people always. But there was a promise that freedom would come. And this was also tied to the coming of the Messiah. But what I don't think they fully understood, that Matthew wants us to fully understand, is that the fullness of this promise is connected to Herod and his slaughtering of children. And what is the promise? Is that even children whose lives have been lost will come back again. Now please hear the heart of a, of a father. I preach to you this morning, not just as a pastor, but as a parent who clings to this promise. This is the promise that has sustained my wife and I over the past four years. This is the promise that we cling to. We will see our son again. You will see your children again because Jesus comes not just as a political liberator, but Jesus comes as a resurrection savior. And this promise in Matthew 2 and 19 is a promise of resurrection. That the promise of Jesus is that one day, just as he rose from the grave, he will empty the tombs and all who have trusted in him will raise and live with him again. The dead in Christ shall be raised and we shall rejoice with him forever and ever. And guess what? That's not just for parents who have lost children, but all of us who carry with us the grief of the loss of a loved one who has trusted in Jesus. How many thank God we're going to see them again. God turns mourning into hope. But the story doesn't stop just with hope. But there's a promise of rest as well. He goes on to say, there's hope. Verse number 17 of Jeremiah uh, 31. There is hope for your future, declares the Lord, and your children shall come back to their own country. In other words, they're going to come back and rest again now let's go back to Matthew 2, verse number 20. We're going to end here, it says, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who saw the child's life are dead. In other words, I have, I have conquered your enemy, and you can go back and rest in peace. Well, what is the last enemy of humanity? The last enemy of humanity is death. The last enemy of humanity is the grave. But praise God, on that resurrection Sunday morning, he rose from the grave, conquering death and hell, and we now can rest. There is no fear of the future. I'm not afraid to have to die because I know on the other side of death, there's not a vicious dog waiting for me. No, there is a loving Savior with his arms open wide. And when you cross from this life to the life that is to come, you step into the arms of that Savior and you receive your reward for trusting in him. So don't have fear. Don't let grief reign and rule in your heart, but have hope in Jesus that he will one day bring back those who have gone on before us that have trusted in him. And today, if you trust in him, if you put your faith in him today, turning from sin and turning to him for salvation, there is hope for salvation and the resurrection for you as
as well. How many thank God that he is a promise keeper. Amen? I want to close today on two ways. First, I want to pray. I want to pray for those who came in this morning, uh, maybe with a heavy heart as you've walked through this season. Maybe this morning you know all too well the loss of a loved one, a mother, father, brother, sister, son, or daughter. Uh, if that's you, I want you to stand with me this morning. I want to pray for you. Uh, those who are maybe heavy in heart, I want to pray for you. There is a promise, and the promise is that he will bring them back again, that our hearts will rejoice again. These aren't mere words, but God, God of heaven, has, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, demonstrated his power to restore. He'll do it again. Father, I pray that today you would comfort the grieving heart, that you would give peace. I thank you that I've been the recipient of it, and I, and I know it well. And I pray that today my brothers and sisters would know it well also. And for those who don't know you, God, I pray that the stubbornness of heart will be softened and that today would be the day of salvation. I ask it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.